Well, Enos has uh, not, he kind of hinted at maybe shorten the sermon a little bit, but I think he's given me 20 extra minutes. No, just teasing. But uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to look at Psalm 4 today. We've had a lot of psalms in the service this morning, and uh, we're going to continue looking in this altar. Um, as I was considering what to preach on a couple weeks ago when Chris asked me, I almost went to the book of Titus because um, there's a lot of practical application taken from the book of Titus. And I kind of thought about doing an overview, but um, I, I landed here on Psalm 4 because I had looked at this probably a year ago and just thoughts just started flowing right out of my hand onto the page and making some notes in the margin and and uh, there is a lot of practical applications found in Psalm 4 as well as, as, well as uh, great truth. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin. Great God Almighty, before Your holy throne we do come, and we say, praise You, Lord. Your mercy is more. Um, we acknowledge and recognize that You are holy and righteous and good, that You are the way, the truth, and the life, that You... Uh, extend your, your loving kindness to us, that you show us the way, that you tell us the truth, and that you give us life. And so we come to you as, um, as the provider and protector, as our maker and our redeemer and our friend. And we thank you and we praise you and we ask that you would bless us this morning uh, by and through your holy word and your spirit. And through the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. So Psalm 4, uh, I've titled this sermon, Righteousness and Truth. Righteousness you'll probably get uh, from the text pretty easily. Truth I take from a word found in verse 2 and use that as basically the foundation, um, the, the, the founding verse that kind of set me on the trajectory as I thought about this psalm. Um, with truth, righteousness, and truth. But if we consider this psalm and, and its location in the the Psalter, um, and and what it's what it's teaching us, what it's showing us, we we considered before how Psalm one and Psalm two as, as the entryway, the doorway, the gateway into the book of the Psalms, and then it kind of and it flows from there. It's it's a book about blessing. How blessed is the man. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. That's the brackets of Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And that's the doorway here. And then we see in Psalm 3 and Psalm 4, uh, 5 and, and 6 even, maybe you consider 7, they're really prayers. They're, they're prayers um, primarily written by King David. And the interesting thing about Psalms, and, and even here in Psalm 4, is that these are they're private prayers that are recorded um, and, in, and intended for public use, for public reading, for public worship. And he says even in the superscript here, for the choir director, for the choir master, for the worship leader, so to speak, the song leader. So, so as David is writing this, these are very intensely intimate thoughts and feelings that he has as, as, as a human, as a man. And yet, 
he writes them and he, he pins them intended for public reading and public worship. And that's something really powerful to consider how a, a man could so vulnerably expose himself and his thoughts and present them before others, intending for public use. So that's, that's one of the things that we see even in the little superscript here as this is a prayer of David to God, but he intends it for us to read and to learn from and to, to feel alongside him and to come before God and worship with him. So the, those who would um, be involved in hearing this or in singing this in the tabernacle or in the temple, they would be feeling the same emotions that David felt and, and considering these same uh, heavy realities and truths. And kind of throughout the progression of the psalm, we're going to see David moving from, from, from anger to joy from, from frustration to peace, from questioning to, to confidence, and even from uh, insomnia to, to restful sleep. You kind of see that progression through the psalm in this prayer that he offers to the Lord. And it says it's for the choir director on stringed instruments, a psalm of David. This... Even this, taking a look at this superscript here for the choir director on stringed instruments or, or however it's translated in your version, those, that little um, prefix, if you would, to the, the preface to the psalm is found uh, eight times in the Old Testament. Seven are found in the psalms. And of the seven, five of them are explicitly used by David. One is used by um, Asaph. One is unknown. It's, it's, it, we don't know who the author is. And then the eighth time is found in the book of Habakkuk. The very, at the end of his, his um, prophecy, it says, for the choir director on stringed instruments. It's almost like a postscript to his text. So, um, it's not, a, not super common, but it is used eight different times. And it's interesting to consider, uh, it would be, be a good study to, to look at the different genres and styles of music and expressions and the different instrumentation and what that conveys. Now, I didn't do that study, but I found it um, quite interesting that you get a different sound with stringed instruments than you do with woodwinds, than you do with um, uh, percussion or so on. So this psalm is for the choir director on stringed instruments. It is a psalm, a prayer, a song of David for public worship. So let's read it. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble 
and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. So here in verse 1, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. So this is David right out of the gate. He just comes before the throne of God and he says, God, hear me. Please answer me. Respond to me. Hear me. Listen to me. He's coming and, and you, can just, you can just feel it that David's in trouble. Answer me, O God. Hear me. Please, I, I need you. I don't know what to do. I'm coming to you because you are my strength. You are the one who gives me rescue, deliverance. You're the one who gives me relief. And we, we don't know what trouble that David's in. You know, Psalm 3 tells us that was written that he, when he fled from Absalom. And some have considered that Psalm 4 is just a continuation of that same thought, that he's in trouble. He's, he's under a, a, an attempted coup by his own son to be expelled off the throne. He's in government in exile. Some have considered that, no, this is more uh, a long-term uh, feeling of, uh, and, and, and being in trouble. That maybe this is when he was fleeing Saul. Maybe this was when he was in the land of the Philistines, also still fleeing Saul. But uh, we don't know. But he's in trouble. And, and, and you and I have been in trouble. And we come to the throne of God saying, God, you must hear me. Please answer me. Answer me here. Listen, O Lord. Open your ears. I beg you. Answer me when I call. And he says, O God of my righteousness. Now he's not just praying to the universe. He's saying, O God, Elohim, I'm coming to you, God. There's one God. I'm coming to you. And he recognizes that God is his righteousness. He's saying, I'm not coming to you because I'm so grand and great and got it all figured out. You are my righteousness, O God. You, O God of my righteousness. God of my righteousness, I come to you. And why does he come to, to this God? Why does he come to him? Well, we have the, the center of verse 1 that tells us because God has been faithful in the past. And so he knows that he can depend on God to be faithful in, in the present and in the future. You have relieved me in my distress. Now, if you look at the word relief here, in, in the Hebrew it has this connotation of enlarging, making bigger, of, of establishing, whether it's giving a firm footing or a firm foundation to a structure so that, so that it's, it's solidly settled and anchored and is not going to blow about. But it's, but it's also a, a wider footprint. You know, uh, those with larger feet are typically more stable than people with smaller feet. But it's a, it's a larger footprint. It's an enlarging me. Enlarge me, Lord. Enlarge me in my distress. 
in the Hebrew word here connotates a constriction, a tightening, a being put between a rock and a hard place, if you will. Maybe the walls are closing in and you're getting squished. This is distress, ever-increasing pressure. And God says, I mean, David says about God, you have relieved me in my distress. Now, he's not saying, God, you've made me larger in a tighter space and the pressure is tighter. No, he's saying, you have pushed the walls back and giving me space. I'm, no lo- I'm not claustrophobic here. You have, you have pushed it out and you have enlarged me. You've given me room to move and to breathe and to rest. He's coming to this God who has done this in the past because He's there again. He's in distress. And so He knows that His God is faithful. And that's why He calls upon Him. And He says, He's asking again for grace. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. He's asking here, this is a request for truth. A request for truth. And because he has in the past received relief or rescue by the truth. He's asking the Lord God for relief. Who, so who is distressing him? Why is he distressed? Well, verses, uh, verse 2 really tells us some of the distress that David's in. He says, sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? So at least a portion of this trouble that David's in is perhaps peer pressure. It's mockery. It's disdain. It's scorning. It's shame. You sons of men. And there's a, there's a, um, if you think about how David once said, how, you sons of Zeruiah, what am I going to do with you? You know, the, the, the leaders of the army, Joab and Abishai and, and Asahel, they just continually just bore down upon him and, and tested his leadership. Well, David here is saying, you sons of men, not God. God isn't mocking him and making fun of him. It's his fellow man. Oh, sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long are you going to not just mock me and disdain me, but make fun of my God? Because David is holding the Lord God in, in high esteem and in great honor. I mean, what did, what, did he ch- what did Goliath do? He came to him mocking God. And David said, how dare you mock the name of my God? I come to you in the name of the God Almighty of the God of Israel, and He's going to deliver you into my hands. How dare you mock God? So David is taking this, this scorn and this mockery and this disdain that's directed towards him, and he's applying it and saying, no, this is actually a, a, a derision upon God, and yet he feels it. He feels it as rejection by his fellow men. And, and he asks him, how long... Are you going to reverse the truth? How long are you going to call evil good and good evil? How long are you going to do this? And how long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? 
How long are you going to go after that which is in vain and futile? That which is meaningless and aim at falsehood. How long are you going to love lying is what he's saying to these men. In his prayer, in his prayer to God, it's like he has these men pictured in his mind and he's, how long are you going to disdain my God? And maybe, maybe he's even asking God, how long, Lord, are you going to allow this to happen? But there is this, this feeling here that, that there is, that truth is being reproached. The truth. God Almighty is being reproached. He's, His truth is being reversed. His truth is being rejected. And if you take those three things, uh, reproach is maybe the, the top heading with, with a reversal and then a final rejection of it being a, uh, a natural progression of a reproach of the truth. You see that in Romans 1 with a rejection of, of God-ordained uh, institutions and ideals and ordeals. And, and, and this, this thinking here, this turning of honor into reproach, this loving worthlessness and vanity and meaninglessness is, is bred by... It isn't bred by, by a love of the truth. It's bred by ignorance. It's bred by... Uh, even insecurity. Have you known people that, that act as bullies and mock you and make fun of you because truly they're really just insecure about who they are? That's what it's bred by. And it's, and it's bred by this hatred can, be, can feed and fuel or be fueled by lack of sleep. I mean, our bodies have needs, right? And sleep's one of them. What happens when you don't get enough sleep? You tend to be a little edgy. You tend to be a little sharp towards those around you. Well, that's, that's what his enemies are feeling. They're, they have lack of sleep because they have no peace. And they have no foundation. They have no footing because they're rejecting truth. And they're insecure in themselves because they don't even know who God is. And David is feeling the brunt of all this. And he comes to God saying, God, you've got to help me because I can't handle this. I can't even handle it in myself. He's coming to God asking for help. And so in seeing the, the, the manifestation of, of error, of falsehood, we, we learn a little bit of what truth is. We, we can ask the question, well, what is truth? Well, truth is honorable. How long will my honor become a reproach? Truth is honorable. It's not reproachful. Truth is valuable. It's not worthless. Truth is special. It's set apart. It's holy. It's right. It's good. It's, it's glorious. It's beautiful. It's not ugly. What's truth? It is, it is that which is victorious. It accomplishes something. It's not done in vain. It has a goal. It's beautiful. We're going to look at a verse here in just a little bit that, that shows us a little bit more about this truth. But just hold on to that. So that's, this is why, 
some of the pressures that David is feeling, these external pressures that are pushing on him, maybe even some internal pressures as well, as he recognizes this in himself. But he, he now, he preaches not only to himself uh, and, and prays to God, but he's praying to these, these sons of men, those who are disdaining him. He says, but no. So he's teaching in his prayer. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. Here is the Lord reserving for truth. The Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Now this is not arrogance. He's not saying to to these men, Oh, I'm godly. I'm set apart. I'm special. He's not saying that. That's not the attitude which David has when he writes this. No, this is not an attitude of arrogance. This is an attitude of confidence, of assurance, because of God's faithfulness, because, of, because he knows who God is and the type of God that God is. He's a rescuer. He's a deliverer. He's a provider. He's a protector. He's saying, I know my God, and my God will hear me when I call to Him. You parents know the sound of your children crying. You know, you can make it, you know when it's your child or someone else's. Sometimes your phone rings and even if you don't have a, a differentiation in your ringtones, you know like this is so-and-so calling me and you look down, yep, it's, it is. You know when they're calling you. Well, God's the same way. He knows when you're calling Him. And He will hear you. It's a promise. It's a promise. If you are God's child, He has set you apart. He knows you. He loves you. He hears you. And David is trying to to teach even his enemies the same thing. Like, even though you're mocking and scorning me and you're scorning God, I have someone to whom I can run. And, and don't think that you're just fighting little old me. If you're in opposition to me, you're actually in opposition to God. If, if I'm in God's will, if I'm in His family, you're opposing Him. God's going to answer me. Your mockery will be answered. Be careful. The Lord will hear when I call. He moves on in verse 4 in this teaching here, and he says, Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Do you know this verse is quoted in the New Testament? It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. I'm going to start in verse 25. Paul writes, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't give him a foothold. So Paul instructs us to lay aside falsehood. Speak truth to one another. 
And that, that's what David is teaching us here. That's what he's trying to, to grapple with as he fights these, these uh, opponents of his. He says, don't stop aiming at this deception, this falsehood, this error. Speak truth to yourself. Go to he who is truth. And, and I understand being angry. It's actually okay to be angry. But over what? Why are we angry? Be angry and do not sin, he says. This trembling, this violent quaking, it can be with anger, it can be used in other highly emotional um, aspects of our lives when you just, you just tremble. But, but he is saying... Tremble and do not sin. Maybe we need to, and maybe what he's getting at here is fear God and do not sin. He's instructing them, and maybe he's even instructing himself here. You can be angry that God's name is reproached, but don't take vengeance for yourselves. Be angry, tremble, and do not sin. Instead, he offers a solution. Instead of just getting so worked up and that you're violent and that you cut with your tongue in response, he said, meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Meditate, the, the root word would, would indicate speaking. So in other words... Speak in your heart. Let your tongue be still, be silent, and consider, consider, consider. Well, what are we considering? Who is God? Who is God? Going back up quickly to to the end of verse 2, between 2 and 3, you you probably have the word silah there, right? It's a musical break. It's a, it's a stop and think about what I just said. And it ends after this lying, this falsehood. So he's saying, what's falsehood? What is truth? Well, now he ends it here. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Stop. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Meditate in your heart upon your bed. He's saying the same thing Paul said. Don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed angry. How you end your day is how you begin your day often. I find it interesting that in the Hebrew, the day begins in the evening. There was evening and there was morning the whatever day. So how we go to bed is really how we're beginning our day. Don't go to bed angry. Be st- instead, do what? Contemplate truth. Consider who is God. Who am I? He's saying, don't have these intimate relations with anger here. No. Instead, become one flesh with truth. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Who is God? Who 
is God. Think about Him. Think about these things. And this is where I'd like to just quickly pop over to Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 6, Paul is again teaching us about prayer and, and what our attitude ought to be. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So again, this is David that is coming before, the God, before his God with a request. And Paul tells us, Don't worry about it. Come to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. What And what will happen? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, listen to this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Truth. Truth is honorable. Truth is right. Truth is pure. It's lovely. It's a good thing to talk about. It's a good report. It's good news. It's excellent. It's worthy of praise. It's glorious. He says, think on these things. Think on these things. Dwell on these things on your bed and be still. Calm down. Chill out. Just take a breath. And think about God. Then in verse 5 here, David offers for us, another solution. He, he answers for us. He gives us to us a remedy. The remedy of truth. He says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. The word offer there and sacrifices have the same root. Offer is the root verb. Sacrifices is basically the noun form. So it would be offer your offerings. Sacrifice your sacrifices. Do this. Offer your sacrifices of righteousness. Not just give whatever you want. I mean, that's what Cain did. Cain gave a sacrifice. He offered one. But it wasn't in righteousness. It wasn't according to the will and to the glory of God. It was for His own glory. He says, offer sacrifices of righteousness. He's simply saying, obey. Obey. And do it from the heart. Trust in the Lord. Don't trust in your own ability to give the sacrifice. Don't trust, don't give this out of your out of your wealth. Don't give this out of your how how great and glorious you are. I've got this extra to spare, I'll give it. No, trust in the Lord. Don't trust in yourself. Offer sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. You know, this is truth. This is God. God is righteous. 
the Lord is faithful. In verse 5 here, I think really points us to the cross of Christ. Because really and truly, His was the only righteous sacrifice. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And anything that we bring to God, even our very best, isn't up to His standard. David's saying, put your faith in the Lord. Put your faith in a righteous sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, because neither you nor I can attain this level. Trust in the Lord. This is the remedy. This is the remedy. It's the cross of Christ. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. It's that exchange. Give it to the Lord. God, take this anger. Take this frustration. Take this futile meaninglessness that has saturated my being and my soul. Take it away and nail it to your cross. And Lord, I want, you to, I want to leave it there. Leave it there. So that, so that now I can have meaning and purpose and peace. I can be made righteous. Trust in the Lord, he says. And, and now the, the prayer kind of starts to shift back towards, towards directly to the Lord. He says, many are saying, who will show us any good? So he starts out, answer me when I call, O God. O God of my righteousness. So David, David's made this exchange here of my righteousness. Not just it's mine, but it's your righteousness that you've given to me. So David has made this exchange and he starts out praying to this God who has made him righteous. And then it transfers down as he's thinking and he's grappling with, with this, this external pressures. And now he's, he's going back to, back to speaking directly to the Lord. And he's saying, God, many people are saying, who's going to show us any good? Many people are saying, look, this is just meaningless. I, I get up, tired, and go to work so I can get some money, so I can buy my food and pay my bills, so I can go to sleep and wake up tired and go to work to get some money to buy some food and pay my bills. It's meaningless. <laughs> He's saying, this is the, these are the evil days. Who's going to show us any good? Remember the creating of the days of your youth before the evil days come and you say, I have no pleasure in them. Who's going to show us any good? What, what good you got to show me? Many are saying that. What's the point? Many are saying maybe with Pilate, what's truth? It's a rebuff of truth. 
What's truth? Many are saying that. You heard people talk like that? Yeah. Maybe you've thought that. I've thought it. It's pointless. Many are saying, who's going to show us any good? Well, David, David here says to the Lord, Lord, in other words, Lord, open their eyes. Open their eyes. You can show us good. You have shown me good. He says, lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. Lift up the light. Turn on the light switch. Brighten our eyes. You've seen people's faces and they almost glow. You just see life and joy in them. Their faces light up. Their eyes sparkle. And, God, and, Lord, and David's saying to God, Lord, we need some of that. Show us the light of your countenance. Lift it up. Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. And I couldn't help but think of, of John's gospel. I mean, here in John 1, 4 and 5, in Him, that's Christ, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. it didn't, they didn't understand it. The, the darkness did not overcome it. It couldn't defeat the light. The light shines in the darkness. And then in verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. And verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Lift up the light of your countenance, O God. The author of the book of Hebrews says something here. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways... In these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. He is the radiance of His glory. David here, whether he knows it or not, is asking for the Messiah to come. Lift up the light of your countenance upon us. God, smile upon us. We need some good news. Everybody's asking, what good have you got? Is there anything good? Is there anything to be happy about, to be joyful about? And here in this book of the Psalms that teaches us how a man can be happy, he says, lift up the light of your countenance. Lift him up. And what does Jesus say? Unless the Son of Man be lifted up. the Son of Man, lifted up. And this is the radiance of truth. It's Jesus Christ. He radiates it. It just comes out from Him. What happened when when He was transfigured? I mean, the 
the apostles, those that were with him, they just, I mean, you could just imagine. They were just shocked. Like they didn't even know what to say. Blown away by his glory, by his radiance. And David says, Lord, you've put gladness in my heart. You have given me the ability to rejoice in the truth. You've put gladness in my heart. No longer now is my life futile. Is it meaningless? Is it in vain? No, it has purpose. It has a victory to it. It's glorying. It's glorying. It's happiness. I'm happy now. You have put gladness in my heart. How much gladness, David? More gladness than when their grain and new wine abound. I think every party has food to it, too. It's a feast. And what David is saying here is that all that the enemies of God have is their stomach. It's the paycheck. It's the harvest time. That's all they've got. More than when the grain and the new wine abound. All they have is their party. They're filled. Their belly's full. They sleep good. They feel good. Wine makes their heart merry. But God, you have put so much more gladness in my heart. It is greater than that. My gladness is not dependent upon whether or not my stomach is full. It's much deeper than that. Therefore, they will no longer hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore, nor will the sun beat down on them anymore. The gladness, the joy is so deep that it isn't dependent upon harvest. It's not dependent upon the paycheck. And David can say, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. I can go to bed and rest. I can sleep. Why? For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. David can recline in the truth. He can rest because of who God is. He is faithful. He's a deliverer. He's a redeemer. He's a righteous Savior. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. Go to bed for the night. And rest. You know, that's, I think it's Psalm 127 says that He, that's the Lord, gives to His beloved even in His sleep. He gives sleep to His children of God. He gives to His children while they sleep. He gives to them peace. Peace that the world does not know. My peace do I give to you, Jesus says. 
But there's, there's another point of application here that we can make. Especially here in verse 8. You know, not only, not only are we instructed to not go to bed angry from verse 4, not only are we told that we can actually sleep well if we consider who God is, if you're having trouble sleeping, think about who God is and what He's done for you. Not only is this practical, but in peace I will both lie down and sleep. You can face death in peace. You don't have to be terrified. You can rest assured. You can look death in the face and say, my God can keep me. In peace, I will both lie down in the dust of death and sleep. I think it's Job that says, for in my flesh, I will see God. I know that He will keep me. He will let me sleep and rest. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me? Like I'm taking a nap, man. You can face death with peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. How? Why can we trust the Lord to keep us? God never slumbers nor sleeps. He is always there. He's always on guard. He is the great shepherd of our souls. But He's defeated death. He's defeated it. He knows it inside and out. He knows the crossing of the river. You can keep me safe in this passage, Lord. There's resurrection truth here. In peace, I can face death because I know death is not the end. It's but the doorway. It is but the beginning to knowing God more fully and worshipful. Even as this is the gateway here, an evening prayer. This is a prayer perhaps that David's penned as he went to bed. And some would say Psalm 3 was a prayer that he wrote when he's waking up. And if you consider that morning and evening as the dawn of your life and the close of your life, this is the prayer that you can pray as you're on your deathbed and saying, God, I'm coming to you and I'm not worried. I'm not worried because you've relieved me. You've taken this stress off of me. You've enlarged it. You've opened up, you're opening up the door and I'm about to walk through and it's going to be not longer, no longer a tight little constricted space where I'm crawling on my arms and my hands and my knees and my belly and I'm getting scraped and scuffed. And Now I'm about to open up into this cavern and inside is just glory. In peace, I can lay down and sleep because you, you are that door. I am the door, Jesus says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. You're not going to get into that open space. 
You'll always be restricted. You'll always have this pressure, this meaninglessness in your heart unless you trust in the Lord. Unless you believe in Him and place your faith and your trust in Him and say, God, You are my righteousness. You are my righteousness. Well, as we close here, I want to say a couple things here just in summary about how we see Christ in this psalm. And then John's going to play this psalm set to music for us. Um, And as it plays, I'd like for each, each of us to silently try to pray this same prayer along with along with the the words of the hymn of the psalm but but we see Christ here in psalm 4 as praying in the garden as as all these sons of men who have come to mock him to disdain him perhaps even being uh, held in contempt before Herod's or Pilate's court we see Christ here having His bearing shame and scoffing rude. We see Christ mocked before man. We see Christ as the truth, not at deception, not at falsehood, but as the truth. We see Him as the only righteous sacrifice. We see Him as the light of the world. We see Him as the love of God given to us, given to man. We see Him as the Prince of Peace, as the resurrection and the life and as the great shepherd. Christ is presented in this psalm. And let's let's honor, adore, and worship Him and receive the gifts that He has to give us.